So today we're finishing up our series called Come and See. And next week we're going to begin a new series for December for the holidays called Preparing Your Heart for Christmas. And I don't know about you, but there's so many things that happen in our lives throughout this Christmas season. I think it's easy for us to miss maybe what God wants to do in our hearts during this season as we're focused on all the different events. And so it's really important we don't overlook this celebrated, one of the most celebrated seasons of the year, but more importantly, don't overlook what God wants to do in our hearts. So we're going to be taking a look at that beginning next week, and I'm pretty excited about some of the fun things we've planned. So come with excitement and uh, bring out your little inner child with you. We're, we're going to have some fun as we gather together uh, through the weeks of December. Uh, but today, and I'm actually going to change microphones because this one's getting on me. So if we could check. There we go. I think this will be better for us today. I um, want to talk today about the big picture. Somebody say the big picture. The big picture. We've been talking about uh, being a missionary or being on mission for Christ this month. We've been talking about the mission of the church and I want to talk today about a big picture because God has a big picture. He has a God-sized vision for the earth, for the world, and he wants us to grab a hold of or become part of his big picture. Now, have you ever started, any puzzle fans in here, anybody like to put puzzles together? Anybody at all? Yeah, several, Yes. Yeah, you know, I don't particularly like it because what happens to me when I start is I cannot bring myself to stop. It becomes like a it's something in me says, I have to get this thing done, and, and it frustrates me to have to leave an unfinished puzzle. So normally I don't do them, but, uh, but they are fun once you get going. But have you ever put together a particularly difficult puzzle or maybe challenging puzzle only to get to the end and you realize you're missing one piece? It is the most frustrating thing in the world to spend hours and hours and hours putting together this puzzle to find that there is a piece missing. And you know, the deal with this is, is that it doesn't matter how amazing the puzzle looks or the rest of the puzzle looks. It doesn't matter that, that you, you got all the other pieces together because that one piece is missing. There is no way you can find enjoyment amongst the frustration and disappointment for that missing piece because the picture is incomplete. It's not a complete picture. And that frustration just kind of overwhelms the, any possible enjoyment. And you might as well just crash the thing and put it away because the piece is missing. You can't even put it together. But the reality is for us as children of God and as Christians, God has a bigger picture, a giant puzzle that he's been weaving together since the dawn of time, since he spoke life into existence. And if each piece is not in its place, it will not come together or have the same impact that it could have if all of the pieces of the puzzle were together, just like a puzzle piece. And over this season, over this series, we've been talking, again, what it means to be on mission as a church, what we call personal evangelism, being a witness for Jesus Christ, sharing our story with people who are far from God. And I pray that over this series, over these last 
couple of weeks that God has not just moved in your heart and has been convicting you of maybe areas of your life that you've not put him first, but also he's been encouraging you to step out in bold faith to, to share Jesus with those that you come in contact with. Because the reality is this, that you are a piece of God's puzzle. You are a piece of the bigger picture. That's why we say weekly that everyone matters to God. You're not just a number. You are a name. You are a face. You are a soul. You are a vital part to the picture that God has placed in this life, to his will, his plan to redeem humanity. And because you are a piece of that puzzle, of that picture, you also can be the difference between a complete or an incomplete picture. You personally can be the difference between God's complete or incomplete picture. Especially around this holiday season, I think it's easier for us to, to kind of step out of ourselves a little bit. This season makes it easy to maybe do some things before that maybe you were timid about doing or maybe wasn't really on your radar. The holidays has a way to bring kind of this, this natural joy out in life and this expectation to be generous. And this is what we want to key in on, that it doesn't just happen this season, but this continues to be an average, everyday experience in our lives. Because God has a purpose for your life. He saved you for a purpose. Not just to give you a, a free ticket to heaven or to wash away your sins. God saved you to put you on mission to impact people's lives. That's why you're here. Just the other day, my wife and I were, were out shopping. We, we did do a little Black, Black Friday shopping. We didn't get too crazy. I think we were home by 11 o'clock, which, which is a good deal. Sometimes we were out till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. But uh, when, you're, when you're not uh, breaking the bank with, with the millions of dollars, you kind of have to go for the sweet deals. So we were out there, and uh, we found some good stuff. But um, we, were, we were shopping the, this holiday season, and we went to Kmart to, to get some things. And outside of Kmart, there was a female bell ringer. And she was ringing her bell, just like you see at different stores. And as we were walking in, she did her normal greeting. Hey, how are you guys doing? And, and we really thought nothing of it. And we thought, oh, you know, we're doing good. How about you? We just said the normal uh, pleasantries. And she made a statement. She said, oh, you know, I'm just trying to stay warm. And that was a different response. Normally, it's, it's like, good, thank you. But she's like, I'm out here trying to stay warm. She's bundled up, and you know, it was chilly, 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 out, chilly outside. My wife and I were walking to the store. We began having this conversation. We began talking about, well, you know, maybe we should take her like a hot cup of you know, hot cocoa or something. We should do something for her since she's freezing cold. And so we finished our shopping and then scooted over to Tim Hortons to get her a cup of hot cocoa. Now, this isn't a regular experience for us. This was just something that just came upon us because we were feeling kind of in the Christmas spirit. We're doing some Christmas shopping, and it's something that just was, it was an idea that came to our mind. But uh, we got this cup of hot cocoa, and we brought it back to her. And as I got out of the car, I was heading right towards her. She gave me this weird look, like, I think I saw you come in before, and now you're coming in again. This is kind of weird. And, uh, and so I approached her, and I, I told her, you know what? God laid it on our heart, my wife and I, to bring you this cup of hot cocoa. And so we just wanted to miss you, wish you a Merry Christmas. And she said, thank you. She just said, a big thank you. And then I took a second. I said, now, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know the Lord? And she's like, yes, I do. And I said, awesome. Well, then, you know, God bless you. And she's like, well, God bless you. 
And, and so what, what normally would have been an awkward or weird situation, that, that bar was lowered because of the season. But these are encounters. These are things God wants for us on a regular basis. He wants for us on a regular basis. And the thing about this encounter is that it did really two things. One, it ministered to her. I don't know what she was dealing with that morning. I don't know how rejected she was feeling by her significant other or maybe life circumstance. I don't know, maybe she might have been questioning her faith and wondering if God really cared about her in in that moment. All I knew is God said, bring her a cup of hot cocoa. And even before we got to Tim Hortons, I stopped at Wendy's thinking maybe they, they had a kid's hot chocolate. No, Wendy's doesn't have any hot cocoa. So if you're in the mood for hot cocoa, don't go to Wendy's. But, but as I was leaving Wendy's, I thought, well, you know, I tried. I tried, you know, maybe, maybe we'll stop by after we do some more shopping. And my wife was like, you know, we, if we feel like God is wanting to do this, we should do it now. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're always right. Yes. So, so we drove over to Tim Hortons, but there was an opportunity there for me not to follow through with what God had laid on my heart. And I think it's so easy for us to do that. Well, we maybe give an attempt and it doesn't work out the way we thought. And so we followed the excuses that begin to come up as to why it's okay for us not to follow what God wants to do or wants us to do in our lives. But we did it anyway and we gave her that hot cocoa and it ministered to her. And the second thing that it did was that it encouraged our faith and strengthened our resolve to act on those God moments and not give in to shyness or timidity or excuses. And so these, this is the reason why being on mission and living on purpose as a missionary in the world is so vital because every experience encourages you and strengthens you to have the next experience. And this is what God wants for his people. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 Paul says this to his protege, Timothy. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is not from God. Fear is not from God. Fear is the antithesis of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is not from God, it is from the enemy, and it is a spirit to keep you from being obedient to the will of God in your life. That's what fear is. Fear is to keep you from faith when God has given you the Holy Spirit to make you bold in your witness. The Spirit of God is a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And when you're walking in submission to the Spirit of God, you will be motivated by love because His love is going to overflow in your life. And as you're walking in submission to the Spirit of God, you'll be filled with His power, which will give you the discipline to overcome the temptation to be fearful and shy. To say, you know what, maybe I should try another time. Or maybe eh, it's the situation's not perfectly right, or there's not the great opening for for my awesome one-liner I've been practicing all week, so maybe I'll try another time. No, when you're walking in the Spirit, you'll push through the fear to minister the Father's heart to someone else. And the Spirit of God is ready and, and, and increasingly excited to give us those God encounters where He can use us to be a miracle in somebody else's life. And the thing I want you to know, though, is that we're not the only ones that felt fear. Jesus, too, felt fear. And we don't often think about this because Jesus is like God, right? I mean, how, I mean, he walked on water. He raised the dead. He calmed the storms with the word. I mean, 
What, what can make someone with that much power be afraid? But Jesus did feel fear. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Christ, and he says, This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So even though Jesus was God, he was also fully man, which means he experienced life as a human, just as we do. Everything we're tested with, every experience, every emotion, Jesus felt. But yet he didn't give in to his fear. Jesus was faced with fear, but he overcame his fear with faith. He never gave into what the enemy was selling. And this is the will for us. This is God's will for us, that we would follow in faith, not fall away in fear. And because as a witness for Jesus, there's, there's more at stake, there's more happening than just simply having a conversation with someone. There's more happening in the world than just trying to have a spiritual conversation with a person. There is a spiritual war that is in place even now in this room as we're having this discussion. Did you know that you are at war? There's a spiritual war happening right now all around that we're blind to, but nonetheless is very real. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and this is what he says. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Satan has set himself up as the God of this world. He rules this world. When we refer to the world, we're referring to the enemy kingdom. And he has blinded, he has enslaved the people of this world who don't have a relationship with Christ so that they can't know, they can't believe, they don't see, and they don't turn to the Lord. And so when you're having a gospel-centered conversation, when you're sharing your faith, you are throwing the first punch. You're stepping out into the battleground and you're attacking the enemy kingdom and he's going to come back and he's going to bring attack against you. But what we have is a promise in the word of God is that we overcome the enemy, is that the, the God wins, that Jesus has given us an overcoming faith. In John chapter 8, verse 32, we have this promise from Christ. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. So even though the enemy brings his lies, he brings his fear, he brings his discouragement, he brings his temptation, Jesus said, if we walk in the truth, remain in the truth, it will set us free. That's why we share the gospel, because it is true. We share the message of Christ, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 8, 36, it says, if the Son has set you free, you are truly what? Free means Jesus has come to deliver, to set people free. And the way to freedom is by intersecting with the truth, by believing and trusting in the truth of God. I know even in my own life, I've been set free from spiritual strongholds, things that I thought I would never be over in my life. And as I was struggling in these areas, I was seeing the world completely differently. I was, I, was, I was seeing and experiencing the world a certain way, but when Jesus set me free, my eyes were opened and I could finally see the truth. I could finally see what I was missing out on. I could finally see what I, what I was doing. I could finally see the, the repercussions and the results of my decisions. 
There is a blindness that we wrestle with as fleshly human beings, but even those who are far from God who don't believe, they are blinded by the enemy, which is why Jesus on the cross cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He proclaimed it. He's like, they don't know. They're blind. They're blinded by the enemy. And he, as he's dying on the cross for their sins, they're mocking him, and he's doing this so that they one day could be set free. They could see the truth. John Newton was right when he penned the most famous words in Amazing Grace. It says, I was blind, but now I see. There is a spiritual sight. There's a freedom that God wants to bring. And this is what the truth does. It unlocks blind eyes. The truth of God, the spiritual reality that God exists, unlocks blind eyes and helps people see that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That there's hope. There is a love that is unexplainable. And that's in Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that Satan is working tirelessly, tirelessly to keep people from coming to know. Jesus gave a parable about seeds and these seeds were thrown and several seeds fell on different types of soil, one on the footpath and one on rocky soil, one in thorny ground. And in one of the illustrations, he says the birds come by and eat the seeds so they don't have the opportunity to, to turn into a plant. And he later then translates and reveals that those birds were the enemy and Satan comes and robs the truth to keep it from being implanted into the heart of man. This is what Satan is doing. So as we are sowing spiritual seed and declaring truth and sharing the gospel and sharing our faith, Satan is working against us trying to rob that same truth from people so they don't believe, so they don't trust, so they don't give their lives to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to Satan as the God of this world. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul reveals to the church of Corinth and even here in the church of Ephesus that there are rulers and authorities in the unseen world, meaning that Satan has set up a hierarchy or a kingdom. He has rulers and authorities in place. The devil has created a kingdom for himself, and with the kingdom also comes servants. If you have rulers, then you have servants. And in his, his kingdom, they're not servants, they're slaves. The world is enslaved to the kingdom of the enemy, and these slaves are bound in unbelief. They are those who believe lies instead of the truth. And so we are not just witnesses of Jesus Christ, but we are also soldiers on a campaign sent into enemy territory to free the slaves. This is the picture of the church. We are soldiers in the Lord's army sent into enemy territory to free the slaves. And this is why we're engaged in spiritual battle each and every day. This is why we expect, because of our faith, to live also overcoming lives in Jesus. As we live according to his promises, we're overcoming the attack of the enemy. We're overcoming the lies he sows into this world as we continue to wrestle with the frustrating circumstances that he brings against us. But we have a promise that we're not just winning today, but we have ultimate victory in the name of Jesus. Because there will be a day when he returns and he puts an end to Satan's schemes and ways once and for all. 
But even though that day hasn't come, and even though we're winning, sometimes each day we can feel like we're losing. We can feel like we're losing more than we're winning because we're engaged in this wrestling match of spiritual proportions. And what I want us to see today is that there is a bigger picture, there is a spiritual reality that we're not just saved and we're not just obligated because of salvation to tell someone about Jesus. We are recruited into the Lord's army and it's for a specific purpose. In what is most commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, and most often quoted in churches, probably there'll be several churches today that quote this prayer or use it for prayer at some point. Jesus says something very specific in this prayer as he's instructing his disciples. In Matthew chapter 6, it's found in verses 9 and 10. When Jesus tells his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come soon, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not just a prayer, but it is also a battle plan. This is God's vision. This is his big picture. This is how all the pieces fit into the puzzle, that when his kingdom is established on the earth, when his kingdom is here, that everything would be in obedience and according to his glorious standard on earth as it is even now in heaven. That is his dream, his vision, his hope, and the desire of our God. And as we pray, when we pray to the Lord, when we pray these words, what we're doing is we're aligning our hearts to the will of God that will be living to help usher in his eternal kingdom, to bring that vision to fruition, that the will of God would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Do you know that nothing can say no to God in heaven? God is not questioned in heaven. The angels obey at his command. The stars are born and die at his command. The wind and the waves obey at his command. Even, even the, the creation itself is under the hand. It says that all creation is held in the hand and by the power of the word of the Lord and of Savior Jesus Christ. Nothing in all creation but man can say no to God. And this prayer is that we would come into agreement that all of mankind, all of his creation, all of his children would do his will on earth as it is done in heaven. And it's not that we would just prepare this world for the kingdom, but through the ministry of the church, the kingdom of God would be realized on the earth. But the thing about the kingdom of God is that it is not just a future event. It's not just an event that happens when Jesus returns. Theologians refer to the kingdom of God as the now but not yet kingdom. The now but not yet kingdom. John the Baptist in Mark 1.15 he announces as he's declaring the arrival of Christ, he says, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near, repent of your sins and believe the good news. And then Jesus in Luke 17, 20 through 21, he says, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. So Jesus, in revealing the kingdom, he, he's talking to these, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, who are only thinking about a physical kingdom. 
They were thinking about the day that the Messiah would sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. They were thinking about walls and territories and armies and civilizations. They were thinking about riches and glory here on the earth. But Jesus is not talking about that type of kingdom. As Jesus is being interrogated by Pilate just before his crucifixion, in John 18, 36, he says, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So the nature of the kingdom of God is really twofold. It's not just a physical kingdom, but it's also a spiritual kingdom, one in which Jesus reigns in the hearts of believers. This is how the kingdom of God could be among them and they not see it because their eyes were blind. For only with spiritual eyes can you see the kingdom of God. And only by shedding the blindness through trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior can you be made to see. The kingdom was among them because the kingdom of God is not bricks and mortar and territories and land. It is hearts of people. And even though the kingdom is here spiritually now, it's among us. We are a part of the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, one day when Jesus returns, it will become a physical kingdom as the glorious temple of God, the new Jerusalem, descends from heaven and rests on the earth. I'd like you to humor me for just a moment and close your eyes right now in this room. Just close your eyes as we allow the Spirit of God to help us see so often we try to see with our physical eyes, but right now, Holy Spirit, help us to see with our spiritual eyes. And I want you to envision what is being described in this passage of Scripture as the Bible reveals the kingdom of God coming to earth. And allow the Spirit of God to, to form in your mind what this vision is, to give your soul, to allow your soul to, to connect to what is being said in Revelation 21, 10 through 14, this is John's vision of the kingdom. It says, So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. And descending out of heaven from God, it shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, the 12 gates were guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into that city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practiced shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. You can open your eyes. Did you see the city? Did you see the glory of God? Were you able to 
picture with your mind the glory of God beginning to descend and his will for uh, the earth to be one day where his will will be done, where his kingdom will be realized on the earth. There will be a day where the spiritual kingdom becomes a physical kingdom, where the eternal kingdom of God comes into fruition, where no sinner will be allowed to enter, only the righteous who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is going to be a reality, and I long for and hope for this day. But the question is, is who is the Lamb? Who is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the only way into this city is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get into the book of life? By trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Only those who've been saved, who've been born again, Jesus said, will enter into the kingdom. Only those who've been set apart by God as priests and ambassadors to the kingdom of God will be allowed into the kingdom of God. This is why our mission is so vital. Because as his glory comes down, only those who have a relationship with Jesus will be allowed to enter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul tells us something specific about our role to usher in the kingdom of God, to bring the will of God from heaven down to earth. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. Somebody say ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. We need to re resonate with that and get that deep in our heart. God is making his appeal through who? Us. We speak for Christ. Is that not humbling? God has made us ambassadors. He is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Just like every nation has ambassadors, so does the kingdom of God. And we are it. According to SoCanYou.com, an ambassador is a diplomatic representative that intends international meetings, banquets, and parties, and acts as a figurehead for their country of origin. Ambassadors are also known as diplomats, a more general term describing those that work in a foreign country while retaining citizenship in their home country. This is a powerful description as we relate it to the church of Jesus because we can see this language all through the scripture uh, referring to Christians in the church. We are witnesses, we are representatives, we are authority figures in the kingdom of God. And Jesus has bestowed his authority on us as the church to testify to the truth about the kingdom. We are citizens of heaven, we are not citizens on the earth. Though we live on the earth, this earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. The holy city is our home. So while we're here on the earth, we are on a mission in a foreign land to call people to salvation. Now, what ambassadors do, I don't know if you're, if you're into politics like I am. It becomes kind of a, a hobby of mine to stay up on politics. But ambassadors help to maintain foreign relations. They are key role figures in dip diplomatic efforts overseas and with other countries. And I think about what might happen to the United States around the world if we didn't have any diplomats in those nations. If we didn't have anybody standing in the gap for our nation for diplomatic uh, relationships and negotiating those relationships. 
Imagine what might be the state of our country if we had no allies, if we had no partners in trade, if those going to war diplomatically for us around the world did not exist. Our country might look really different. Our country might not be the same as what it is today. We could be just another third world country. How would our interests abroad as the United States of America be able to advance without the diplomats, the ambassadors going to bat for our country? You know, the same is true for the kingdom of God. The same is true for God's kingdom. If the ambassadors of heaven do not intercede for the kingdom of God, how is it supposed to advance its interest in the world? You see, just like these religious leaders who knew the scriptures, they studied the Bible for a living, they attended religious services day in and day out, they couldn't see the kingdom because their eyes were spiritually blind. And I think we get caught up like these Pharisees, these religious leaders, because we're not focusing on the current kingdom, we're focusing on the coming kingdom. We're not focusing on the kingdom that is around us now, the people who need rescued and plucked out of the kingdom of the enemy and placed into the kingdom of Christ. And we're so focused on the coming kingdom that what happens is we end up just merging in and settling into the kingdom that we're in. And we forget what citizenship that we have. How are we supposed to prepare the world for the coming kingdom if the ambassadors are not interceding, but they're integrating in the foreign land? How are we supposed to intercede for God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven if the ambassadors of Christ are not interceding, but they're integrating in their foreign land? Becoming a citizen of a foreign land rather than maintaining their citizenship in heaven. And this is why it's vital for each of us to assume responsibility for the kingdom. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the youth director's job. It's not the missionary's job. It's my job. It's my job. Recognize our relationship with Jesus also comes with the responsibility to advance the kingdom of God, the interests of heaven, negotiating people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You cannot get into heaven by jumping the fence like an illegal immigrant from the southern border. You cannot get into heaven by jumping the fence. If you want to go into God's heaven, you have to go God's way. And the beauty of the message of Christ, the reason why it's good news is because he has purchased the freedom for the entire world. It'd be like us walking down to the southern border at all those caravans of people trying to get in and saying, come right on in, your way's been paid. The ability for you to be a citizen has already been made. You need to do nothing but accept the gift. God has made that gift for the whole world. For God so loved the world. The world has a free pathway to citizenship just by trusting and believing on the name of Jesus. And the message of this gift, the free citizenship that's available, has to be sent out. It has to be revealed to those who are seeking a home in heaven by those who represent the king and the kingdom. And that's us. You play a major part. A part in God's story of redemption. 
you're a piece in the greater puzzle. There's no person here who's not valued, who's not important for the mission. And it's my prayer that we would take on this mantle of ambassador and we would surrender and say, God, I'm going to fit my piece into the picture. God, teach me your ways. Reveal your will for my life. I surrender to you. I'm gonna live as a citizen of heaven. And what an exciting day it will be. Just as we pictured the day when the glorious city of Jerusalem comes down from heaven, what an exciting day will it be when the skies part and we see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven to know that not only are we going into that city, but so is our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and those we care deeply about. That we all meet each other in the clouds and we get to be with Jesus forever and forever and forever. There's no words to describe what that feeling is gonna be like. I wanna close our service today with just a final prayer that comes out of Acts chapter four. Just before the church prays this prayer, Peter and John were essentially imprisoned for preaching the gospel, for telling people about Jesus everywhere they went. And when they returned home, they gave a report about what happened, and then the church responded in praying to God. And I'm gonna move over here so we can see the screen, because in just a moment, I want us to pray this prayer together. But in Acts chapter four, beginning in verse 23, it says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together and prayed to God, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers, rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to preach the word of God with what? Boldness. We need the filling of the Spirit. and We need a boldness to preach the gospel. As we close, I want us to pray this prayer together, and the words will be on the screen. And for you to continue to pray this prayer in your daily life, in your quiet time, your personal time with God, until we see the outpour of his spirit in this city, until we see the boldness of the message of Christ proclaimed, and we begin to see soul after soul rescued from the enemy kingdom. Let's bow our heads for prayer in this, pray, in this place. I'm going to start us and then I'll invite us to pray together. Holy Father, Lord, you have seen the events that have transpired that have led us to this place and time, both in our personal lives and corporately as a church. 
And God, we are in desperate need. We're in desperate need of your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us, to fill us with boldness. God, the enemy has done a great job making us fearful, has made made us shy, timid, and to be honest, far too comfortable in many respects to step out of ourselves and live according to that call to be an ambassador for the, the, the heavenly kingdom, to be a missionary on mission, to see ourselves as citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. God, I have to confess that we've, in many ways, married ourselves to the world, and we've integrated with the world rather than interceded for the kingdom of heaven. And for that, God, I repent. I repent for the sins in my own life, my family, this church, this nation, the church globally, God. We repent of that and we seek your face, God. We seek you in the name of Jesus. We seek the filling and power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out among us, Lord, so that we are bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. And together, God, I ask you hear our prayer as we pray together. Let's all pray. Father, give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. May there be no doubt that you, Lord, are among us and your love reaches as far as the east is from the west. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may honor you by being holy as you are holy. In the name of your dear son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen.